Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Good afternoon. We're in here dancing to the theme music, my guest and I, and I want to see Dave do a little jig back there. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and we're here every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain and online at drpegradio.com. We're sharing information about mental health, wellness, and safety for living well, and people say that money is the number one issue in a marriage, and today we're talking about one way that money can be destructive to relationships, something called financial infidelity. And financial infidelity is keeping financial secrets from your spouse. And just like having an affair, lying about finances can lead you down a path in your relationship that you probably don't want to go. Now, if you've been hiding purchases or keeping financial secrets from your spouse, this episode is for you. I've got financial therapist Maureen Kelly, who will help you bring your money secrets into the light today and figure out which money scripts are motivating your behavior. And you can call us today if you want to come clean about your money secrets and get some help. The number is 303-477-5600. But first, if you want help with the safety and security of your school or workplace, and you want to receive advanced training based on best practices, contact SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education training. Our show is brought to you each week by SSI Guardian, who has the only program of its kind with an accredited CEU. To learn more about SSI Guardian, go to SSIGuardian.com and tell them that you heard about them from Dr. Pegg. I'll also have a link to SSI Guardian as well as archives of past episodes of Living Well with Dr. Pegg at drpegradio.com. And you can also go to my website to purchase a copy of the 10th anniversary edition of my book, Do Something Different for Change. Well, we're hoping we'll get you to do something different for change with your money today. Uh, we're talking about, among other things, something called financial infidelity, which is keeping financial secrets from your spouse and to help us understand where this behavior comes from and, importantly, what we can do about it, I'm happy to have with me live in studio today um, Maureen Kelly, who's a financial services ex- executive and financial therapist. And, yes, that is a thing. <laughs> Maureen is an advisor to a private family office and the founder of Madre, a financial well-being consulting practice. And we'll have her tell you what Madre stands for Maureen Kelly, thanks so much for being with me today. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Dr. Pegg. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. And I'm really excited to share some of these insights and uh, aspects of life that affect so many people. So thank you for having You're me. You're quite welcome. I'm just going to ask you to speak up just a little bit there so we can hear everything you have to say today. Again, if you've been keeping financial secrets from your spouse and you want to come clean, you can give us a call today at 303-477-5600. We're taking your calls. Um, Maureen and I are kindred sister spirits. <laughs> My sister's name is actually Maureen. 
and you have many relatives named Peggy. I do. So this, Generations of Peggy's in yes, my family. Yes, so. so that was a fun fact yes. we found out chatting on the phone before the show. So financial therapy is a thing. Who knew? I never heard of that before. Tell us what that is and um, how you got involved as a th financial therapist. Well, you are like so many people. Financial therapy is really a new and emerging field. Most people have never heard of it. And what's I find very entertaining is that when I do share financial therapy, initially the reaction may be a snicker, it may be bewilderment and thinking, oh, one more therapist, you know, that we need in our culture. But the truth is that when I describe to people what it is, more times than not, everyone has a story. Mm. Everyone has something to share about how money has impacted their lives. And what's fascinating is that in our culture that we tend to be very transparent, we put a lot of things out there, many people still have great difficulty talking about money. Yeah. It's the last taboo. Yeah, think about social media, your right. timeline. People don't mind putting up their what they just ate for dinner, their current situation, right, with their toes at the beach. Uh, but you won't really hear them talking about how much money they're making. Yeah, it, it, you know, it can be a generational thing. Think about our parents. It was um, disrespectful. We mm. didn't talk about money in our families, and yet everybody is impacted by it. And I often say whether money is abundant or whether money is scarce, it affects our lives, mm -hmm. and it also affects our relationships. So what has evolved, Dr. Pegg, over the last few years? I mean, think about it. If you have money issues, who do you talk to? Most financial advisors are absolutely not trained in relationships mm -hmm. and how to deal with conflict and conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. Financial advisors will tell you how to invest your money, or a banker will tell you how to structure debt and finance, the technical side, or as I say, the exterior side of money. Most therapists, as a group or as a, as a, um, as a vocation, really aren't good at money issues. Right, right. Altruistic by nature, many therapists are certainly not trained in money issues and can be avoidant themselves. So who do people talk to about their money issues? Yes, their, their hairdresser or their bartender. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what has happened over these last few years is as, uh, as an industry, or uh, I should say academically, universities have recognized that there is a need mm. for both theory and research in understanding how money does impact our lives. And I, I will give a plug to Kansas State University. I think that they were absolutely a, a pioneer in this space, right out in the forefront of saying, we need to put qualitative and quantitative research behind what drives people's behavior mm -hmm. around money. So as, as a field, it is really cutting edge. It's yeah. emerging, and we're seeing it more and more in universities around the United right. States. Well, you know, an interesting thing, though, that I always say, and I, I firmly believe in, and it's one of the premises upon which this show is founded, is all good psychology is God psychology. Mm -hmm. And so we can have scientists and researchers, behavioral scientists, tell us, here are the principles, here's what's going on, here's what's, what works, 
And we can always trace those principles back to the Bible. Um, the Bible shares so many principles related to money um, and relationships, and it seemed to be one of Jesus's favorite topics. Does the research reconcile with what we know from the Bible? Absolutely. Especially, uh, there are so many passages about worshiping money, mm -hmm. and we study that. We study about the impact of people when they do worship money. Mm -hmm. How does that impact their lives? Mm -hmm. So I couldn't agree with you more. The greatest book on, on the planet has so many references and so much wisdom mm -hmm. to how we deal with money. Yeah, I've lives. heard people call the Bible basic instructions Absolutely. before leaving earth. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you talked about uh, even when uh, people, they can either have a scarcity or mm -hmm. abundance mm -hmm. in their money, but even when there's abundance, mm -hmm. uh, people can have a scarcity mindset. And you talk about worshiping money, making an idol of money, right. um, letting money drive you. Talk about some of the implications of that. Sure. Uh, one of the things that we talk about or look at are called money scripts. Mm -hmm. And basically what that means is the messages that we have about money, often from childhood, how we value it, how we see money, how it impacts our lives, and really how it drives our behaviors as adults. So for instance, a person may be money avoidant. The money causes a great deal of anxiety more, in their more lives. More money, more problems. <laughs> Absolutely. Or money worship that uh, you know money becomes their god and money becomes more important than anything else in their lives. Something that's really prevalent in our culture, you look everywhere, is money status. Mm. People confuse net worth with self-worth. Mm. So all of these things, or another aspect would be vigilance. People who are really careful about their money or overly, uh, as you had indicated, uh, people can have substantial amounts of money but still have a great deal of fear mm -hmm. around money. Yeah. So talk about some of these um, maybe money personalities. Mm -hmm. I've seen it uh, called in kind of popular media, like the mm -hmm. penny pincher. Sure. Or the shopaholic, the tightwad. It seems like there's mm -hmm. more labels for the people who are tight with money mm -hmm. or fearful around money than you see uh, labels for the people who just freely spend. Well, all of those things that you just identified it, to the extreme can become what we consider disorders. Mm -hmm. So compulsive spending, that's mm -hmm. a huge issue in our culture today. Um, something I've seen over the years, over and over again, uh, when you talk about personalities, is what, what's called the bag lady syndrome. Mm -hmm. And that's very prevalent with women. Say who, more about that. Oh, gosh. Um, women who may have substantial assets to take care of themselves, but they have a great deal of fear of running out of money, outliving their money, mm. and becoming a bag lady. Oh, so it's not yeah. the ladies that I see commuting with a, a handbag, a no. gym bag, no. <laughs> multiple bags, and they've got all their stuff with them. Yeah. Sometimes even I have a, a, a someone I know who carries a bag of um, bills mm -hmm. that, she, that she's still writing out and putting stamps on and mm -hmm. not doing online, but she's got them with her all the time because she's juggling money mm -hmm. and um, trying to fend off creditors, and so right. she's got it all her stuff with her so that if she has a free minute she's looking it over but she's literally carrying that baggage money baggage literally and figuratively with yeah. her yeah I would say she probably has a lot of fear yeah. and anxiety yeah. but that bag lady syndrome is is really the woman who's afraid of becoming destitute mm. and regardless of her financial status mm. she has that intense fear and for, for many people um, 
they don't want to be a burden to their children. Mm -hmm. That becomes a, a great concern. So, um, you know, awareness of all of these things. And when we go, go back to our initial statements that people avoid talking about this, mm -hmm. it's taboo. What we're trying to do in the field is create more awareness so that people can have healthier attitudes and relationships mm -hmm. with money. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I'm speaking with Maureen Kelly. She's a financial therapist and financial services executive. And if you want to join our conversation or ask Maureen a question about money and your relationships, or are you a bag lady, so to speak? Uh, what's your money script? Give us a call. We're at 303-477-5600. So let's talk more about these money scripts mm -hmm. and really how they actually develop. And if you have any examples mm -hmm. or sure. even a, a story you can share about yourself kind of mm -hmm. getting into this business mm -hmm. and managing other people's money, kind yes. of what, what has been your money script and, and how do those play out? Mm -hmm. Well, again, when you think about what a money script is, it can come, it typically comes from childhood. And it's also transgenerational. So it may be something that I learned from my family of origin. Uh, I'll give you a, a story of a woman who shared uh, her experience. And the reason she came to me is because she was lacking trust of her husband in her marriage. When we explored why and what her family of origin situation was, she grew up in a family that was very poor. They had no money. There were a lot of kids, and there was a lot of chaos. Mm. And so as a 10-year-old girl, she had a lemonade stand, what most kids do or many kids do in the summer. She saved about $10 and was so, worked hard and was so proud of what she had earned. And because of the chaos in her home, she stored her money. She actually hid it in the back of her closet in a shoebox. And that shoebox really smelled of perfume for whatever reason, but that was where her money was hidden. And at the end of the summer, uh, her parents said, well, kids, let's go to the ballpark, which they never did. That was not something that her family could afford. And they got to the park, the, you know, the ball game, and, and one of the kids asked for soda pop or you know, to buy something. And the mother took out money from her bag and it smelled of the perfume so her mother had taken her money as an adult that was what's what called what we call in the in you know in financial therapy she had a flashpoint mm. she had a financial flashpoint something that was traumatic that happened in her childhood that today she lacks trust mm. in her marriage so she's carried this trauma from childhood into adulthood and it's impacting her today mm -hmm. so understanding um, how she could move forward, understanding, letting go of that mm. pain that she experienced and, and moving forward in her marriage was something that she's worked on. And, wow. Yeah. And, and so, Dr. Peg, it comes back to awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, well, yeah, and my, my jaw dropped when you said it. I was kind of anticipating where the story was going. Yeah. And, um, you know, if, if I must confess, I, I've, I had taken a couple quarters here and there out of my kids' piggy banks when they were babies, but I always made a point to put it back, yeah. and then some. But imagine um, how that felt for her as a little girl, Absolutely. having that money that she worked hard for and saved up. And it would, she might have even, I thought maybe you were going to say she was so generous she bought the treats for her siblings at the ballpark, but 
uh, turns out uh, yeah. it was she a was traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of parallels, um, as you're describing it, between ordinary therapy, ordinary counseling, Absolutely. is going back to the root cause and the beliefs, the lie-based thinking, uh, the, the traumatic experiences that are shaping the way you see the world today and the way that you operate, sometimes uh, unconsciously. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and for me, as a career financial advisor, helping people for many years in how to invest their money, and I was a banker for many years, mm-hmm. I am a true believer that education, financial education, is critical. We make better decisions in our lives about money and how to spend and how to save But until we can understand our behavior, Mm -hmm. all the education in the world is not going to make a difference if I'm a compulsive spender and I know I'm spending more than I'm taking in Mm. until I'm willing to change my behavior. Nothing's Mm going to change. And understand why you're doing that. What's what's driving that fear or kind of gratification because maybe you felt, you know, neglected and unmet, unmet needs your whole life. You're kind of trying to comfort yourself through money. Absolutely. And here is the intersection of financial and therapy, Mm -hmm. the the aspects of money management with the behavior. And that's why we have a whole new discipline. Yeah. And you hear stories about people who win the lottery and they're overnight millionaires. Mm -hmm. And yet when you track them five years later, I don't know what the stats show exactly how many years later, and they're broke. They're back where they were before. I saw an experiment where they gave a man who was homeless uh, $10,000 and all these resources to help him get back on his feet. And he talked about feeling so uncomfortable, so out of his element, he kind of sabotaged himself and ended up right back where he started. Well, I'm speaking with financial therapist Maureen Kelly, and yes, that is a thing. When we come back, we'll talk more about these money scripts and how they play out in our marriages and how that can lead down the path to financial infidelity. Stay with us. We'll be back. We're taking your calls. 303-477-5600. We'll be back after this break. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. What if a psychologist with years of experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided effective strategies for experiencing lasting change? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares critical insights to help you understand and overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Peg clearly communicates fundamental principles and strategies for change and personal transformation. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com slash books to purchase your copy today. 
Studies show that safety greatly impacts student learning and a teacher's ability to do what they do best. Be it broken furniture, a leaking roof, or more serious threat of violence, the 21st Century Safe School by School Specialty addresses school safety from the emotional, social, and physical perspective. Don't wait another moment. Call 877-878-5800 or visit SSIGuardian.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest today is Maureen Kelly, my kindred sister with the same name as my biological sister, Maureen and Peggy back together again. Uh, Maureen is a financial services executive and financial therapist. Uh, Maureen, thanks again so much for being with Thank us you, today. Thank you, Dr. Peg. And how can our listeners get in touch with you, especially if they have some questions or have some money issues? Sure. They could reach me. Uh, probably the best is my email address, which is maureen at madreandfamily.com. All right. Madreandfamily.com. Dot com. Excellent. And MADRE, by the way, you mm-hmm. mentioned yeah. this earlier. What does that stand for? MADRE is an acronym for Money, Assets, and Durable Relationships. Outstanding. So that's the unique value-added proposition for you is the relationships and Absolutely. resolving um, in, even internal conflict in, in, as well as uh, external. Uh, I'll also have a link to Maureen Kelly on my website. So if you'd like to share this interview with a friend or if you missed another episode of Living Wealth Dr. Peg, check out my program archives at drpegradio.com. And again, we're live in studio today. If you have a question about your money scripts and, and financial issues that get played out in your relationships, give Maureen a, quest, uh, a call today at 303 477 5,600. So we're talking about, Maureen, how these uh, patterns patterns can emerge in childhood. We can be traumatized in, in an area around finances and, and have some fear and anxiety that develops. And so that can be an issue for ourselves individually, but really gets intensified when we bring two people together in marriage uh, and they each have their own money issues. Talk about how that plays out in marriages and um, and wh- how the individual issues kind of get um, exacerbated. Well, for starters, I think that money, there's nothing romantic about money, right? So when two people come together, young adults or even middle-aged, whatever, the first, we don't want to talk about money. There's nothing, as I said, nothing romantic about that. So it will be a topic that's avoided. Mm. But remember, in every relationship, we bring ourselves, we bring our, our family of history, our family of origin to that relationship. And a a large aspect of our lives is how we manage money. You may be a spender, he may be a saver. And so in new relationships, it's often an area that's avoided. On the first date, you're not gonna say, what's your credit score, Mm -hmm. right? And so it may be later in a relationship that you start to really explore this. And it's very values driven. So where you're coming from and your family mm-hmm. family of origin is really going to help you tell your story. Um, when I meet with couples, um, I never say, do you argue about money? 
make the assumption that everyone okay. does or yeah. everyone how often do you yeah <laughs> or what do you what mm -hmm. comes up for you as mm -hmm. a couple in terms of your money discussions mm -hmm. so uh, you know people and, and there's no uh, there's no cookie cutter mold for this like in every marriage people are different families are, are different values are different so what's right for for you as a couple may be very different for for someone else mm -hmm. so there's no one answer there's no one size fits all but the important thing is community communication. Right. And so we hear the experts say that money is the number one Absolutely. conflict in marriages. It's so talk about how that how that does play out some concrete examples of how um, if one is a spender, one is a saver, or they have different goals, one has a high value on being out of debt. Yes. And I can see, you know, for example, I can see how that high value on being out of debt may be rooted in some insecurity, some anxieties. Again, how you grew up in debt, not, uh, not having, going without could be a powerful driver and motivator to never have debt as an adult. And if your spouse doesn't have the same value, how does that play out and kind of what, where does it lead? Absolutely. It's, uh, it plays out in conflict and it often plays out in avoidance, again, that people don't want to talk about it. So what's ha if they're not talking about it, what's happening that uh, you might not, they might not guess it's about money ultimately, but in working with you, it, mm -hmm. it's kind of uncovered that the root is money. Yeah. So how, how would it look if they were not aware of the money issue? Deception, mm -hmm. hiding things. We're going to get more into financial mm -hmm. infidelity and what that means. But one of the most prevalent emotions that I see tied to this for people is around shame. Mm. And maybe what they've come from, the background that they've come from, or maybe in their own spending habits and how they how they spend money and so when there is shame they tend to hide that from a spouse and so that just continues to escalate mm -hmm. and when it's avoided as we know with any topic in our marriages when there is not transparency then it becomes very very challenging mm -hmm. so they could be arguing about any number of things that couples argue about and it really at its root might have something to do with finances absolutely yeah. well let's talk about this thing called financial infidelity mm -hmm. uh, you said where there's shame you mm -hmm. know there's going to be secrets and hiding and that can get played out in financial infidelity or keeping money secrets right. now I've seen friends almost brag about uh, the purchases that they've made and then hidden from their spouse kind of joke about it um, but, and yeah, obviously the spouse is probably going to see their social media post, but everything's on a continuum. You talked about money disorders yes. and there's different extremes. Um, uh, talk about, uh, this type of behavior, uh, it, where it could become a money disorder or is it really, um, not quite that serious? You just hit the nail on the head with um, how prevalent this is. Uh, Forbes did a, a survey a few years ago, and one in three people admit to hiding things from their spouse. But why is there this element of humor to it? Mm. Because is the, that common? That's not, very common. Okay, I thought it's, that was just this particular person. No, it's very common. Mm -hmm. I've spoken. I do a lot of workshops for women, and when I bring this topic up, often there will be some giggles mm. because so many people are guilty of it. And the truth is that this can be just as devastating to a relationship as a romantic affair. Right. Could be. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, um, the same behaviors of hiding and kind of getting right. pleasure and 
um, you know, not coming clean about it is very similar in, right. in financial or just marital mm -hmm. infidelity. And again, there have been studies on how women spend and how men spend, but for, for women, it's, it can often be associated with shopping. You know, did I really need another pair of black mm -hmm. shoes in my closet? And maybe they came in to the, you know, in, in, I was shopping and that bag came in secretly and I didn't share that with him. Mm -hmm. So truly that is... It's not being transparent. There's right. a level of deception there. What I've seen uh, for the most healthy behavior in relationships is when couples have an agreed upon amount that they don't consult each mm -hmm. other with. And anything beyond that, any purchases beyond that, they're gonna talk about it first. Right. Many people don't have that strategy right. in place. Well, I, I was smiling earlier when you said the bag came in secretly on its mm -hmm. own because yeah. there's this element of passivity, not taking responsibility, not being accountable. Yes. And to the extent that it actually could be a compulsion, yes. there could be something rooted in their past that's making them feel they have to have this or have to feel a certain way because they have it. Um, it's it's really not taking responsibility when you're saying the bag kind of came in secretly on its own. Like Absolutely. It has feet and legs. Absolutely. And it can apply to spending. Mm -hmm. That's very, very common. It can also apply to giving. Mm. It, can, it, can, it can be borrowing money. It could be a credit card. I may have credit card debt that my spouse may not be aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, bank accounts that are not fully disclosed. Mm -hmm. Again, credit card spending. It could be a horrendous credit score that I don't yeah. want my spouse to be or aware of. Or old bankruptcy, old, old debts even before they were married. Absolutely. And keeping that a secret. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And keeping it a secret, why? Maybe it's shame. shame. Mm -hmm. exactly. Wow. And so this really um, uh, can have some far-reaching, devastating implications. Uh, you know, next week I'm interviewing a woman who lost her brother to uh, an opioid addiction and overdose, and she's been on the show before. And next week she's going to, going to be talking about recovery uh, from opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. How similar is recovering from financial infidelities to an addiction? If someone is really, you know, lying and hiding and it's been going on for years. Absolutely. I think with any addictive behavior, we can see some of the same patterns. So whether it's shopping and, or money addictions with, with other things. But I think like anything, what's important for recovery and repair is good communication, mm -hmm. respect, you know, fairness, and of course, how people choose to address this conflict is really, really critical. Um, like other situations, if we separate the person from the problem and don't start the name calling and the accusations, because remember, for some people, there can be shame, mm -hmm. and so they're going to hide it, and when it gets brought up in that way, they they absolutely want to avoid it mm -hmm. so when you know how do you recover from this how do you how do you make it right in your marriage well I think first and foremost agree to a time I, I think couples need to have designated times to talk about money and not on the fly or uh, not in the middle of yeah. the, the kids ball game or whatever it is because it but can get heated it can, it can get, get intense heated. and yes. it and it's, it can go all the way back to childhood so in front of company is probably not the time to resolve it or in front of the cashier at the store Absolutely. or the restaurant, but Absolutely. to set aside a designated time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, to have a, have a time to, to talk about it and to agree to be truthful and to speak the truth in your marriage and, and, and so that you can do that in a way that both 
people feel safe mm -hmm. and that they can talk openly about money. Um, I think couples have to agree to a plan. What is our plan around spending and saving? And again, agree to an amount that you could spend without con mm -hmm. consultation. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, like anything, you know, being respectful in this. Yeah. So when you, when you create an agreement or create, an, a pl create a plan, you need to follow that and set a trial period or, you mm -hmm. know, we're going to come back and revisit this plan. Because, again, it's such a significant part of our lives, mm -hmm. and the majority of people will avoid it. Right. And so in terms of this um, um, a plan for this is an amount that we agree we can spend without having to consult with our partner, in some ways that gives the partner back some autonomy, even yes. though, you know, in marriage you're one. But it, it, it allows that person to have a little flexibility and to make, you know, to make some spontaneous decisions or even surprise their partner because because they have their own little budget uh, and, uh, and spending money, uh, but still being um, open and honest with your spouse in the big picture. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's control. I mean, often mm. money is a, is a mm. tool that can be used, uh, you know, for control in a mm -hmm. marriage and power. And often there's inequality in the equation, yeah. who's earning and, and who isn't. So. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about that. And listeners, I'm speaking with Maureen Kelly. She's a financial therapist and financial services executive. And if you want to join our conversation, you want to ask Maureen a question about money and your relationships, or you want to come clean about some um, financial infidelities, that would be the first step, right? Awareness and then kind of owning it, taking, taking responsibility, being accountable. You can give us a call right now at 303-477-5600. So let's talk about this fiscal or financial inequality. Mm -hmm where one spouse earns more than mm -hmm. the other. And um, I guess, you know, historically in our culture, usually it's the man who earns more than the woman. Um, and uh, there's some changes, though, happening in our society in terms of earnings for men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that and how it um, plays into fiscal inequality. I think this topic is so fascinating because it is a cultural shift mm -hmm. that we're experiencing. And, and I realized this, my, my first real aha moment around this was when I was speaking to a group of, of young professional women who asked me after I had given a talk if I would please start a support group mm -hmm. for these young women who are earning more than their spouses because it was creating a great deal of conflict in their marriages perhaps some resentment from the women. They just didn't know how to navigate this issue. And they didn't want to talk about They couldn't talk about it with their spouses, but they wanted to talk about it amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this paradigm shift over, say, the last 50 years where, where women are better educated and they're earning more. And in many situations now, they are out-earning their spouse. Mm -hmm. And so as you said, Dr. Pegg, that's not the traditional model. Right, right. And so we don't have a lot of role models in how to navigate this. Many men can feel emasculated as a result of this. Um, the research shows, and again, go back to financial therapy and, and that the universities are studying this. So what does the research show? That when a woman is earning more than her spouse, and it doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. It could be an insignificant amount, but when the table turns, the divorce rate increases amongst that group. Another uh, sad statistic 
that that um, that relationship shows is that if the man is feeling threatened and if he feels less powerful or emasculated because he's no longer the breadwinner, his spouse is earning more than he is, it also shows an increase in infidelity on the man's part. So it's having a lot of negative consequences. Um, and I think, again, people don't know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so even even in the, I guess, money scripts play a role in that is what a woman is expecting and what she saw modeled in previous generations in her family and her grandparents. Uh, historically, traditionally, the men out-earned the women. Women may not even have worked outside of the home. Uh, but the money script also that the man has about right. his role can play can play into this. But it's not just women earning more than men that can create the inequality. Um, we can see where men earn more than women. Uh, you said earlier that money can be used for control as a tool for control. Absolutely. Uh, a woman who doesn't work at all outside of the home, so has no money of her own coming in, no secret bank account, Correct. no credit card of her own. It's only whatever her husband gives her. Uh, that can create just as many issues as, as the role ver reversal that you talked about a moment ago. Absolutely. And I've seen that, you know, play out over and over again over the years. And, and sometimes people are, or a woman may be in a bad marriage and is afraid to leave. It could mm. even be an abusive situation. Sure. But she's afraid because she's powerless. She has no financial security. Yeah, and I've interviewed um, survivors of domestic abuse, and that's been a factor of feeling they, they where would they go? Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the, the messages uh, uh, that the spouse is giving them is you don't have anything. You won't be able to do anything. Where will mm -hmm. you go? What will happen to mm -hmm. you? And so again, mm -hmm. tapping into that fear and anxiety. Yes. Um, also, the, you know, there's the narrative of um, even though we're talking about um, things changing today, women out earning men, uh, there, there was a time where it wasn't uncommon for a wife to put her husband through medical school or law school. You've heard mm -hmm. those stories. Absolutely. He's in school full time and she was the one working and now he's the big earner and she's feeling like, well, you're not appreciating the sacrifice I made. Uh, so this, this has all kinds of permutations and combinations. Uh, I'm speaking with Maureen Kelly, a financial therapist. Yes, that is a thing and evidently it's much needed. Uh, we're talking about uh, financial infidelity, financial in inequality. And when uh, we come back, you'll have some more insights from more Maureen Kelly. We'll talk about caregiving, millennials, and your money and relationships. Stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being 
well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join me for a one-day, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com retreat. everyone. Uh, this is Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest is Maureen Kelly. She's a financial services executive and financial therapist. Yes, that is a thing we're discovering today, much needed thing. If you'd like to connect with Maureen Kelly or share this interview with a friend, you can go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And um, uh, Maureen's email is Maureen at madreandfamily.com. You can reach out to her directly there as well. Uh, so Maureen, uh, we're talking about um, fiscal inequality, one spouse making more than the other. And traditionally, it's been the man making more than the woman, uh, which can also create some challenges and conflicts uh, if that money is used for control and mm-hmm. domina- dominating and power. Um, but we're seeing more and more where women are out-earning men and you're saying that can lead to some resentments and may even um, correlate with a higher rate of divorce. So how do we make sure that this doesn't happen in a, in a relationship where one is out-earning the other? Um, you say it's not really the money itself, but uh, their inability to have conversations about money. Um, that's what's causing the conflict. So if we can't both make the same amount of money, and may, maybe that's not even the mm-hmm. best idea anyway. Uh, how do we resolve uh, these conflicts, this in, in, inequality? Excuse me. Yeah, and first, let's acknowledge that this does not impact every couple. There are many examples yep. where she may be the major earner, and he is so happy and supportive, and they have it completely balanced. Mm-hmm. Or the man is out earning the woman, yes. and she's fine with that, and yep. she's content and feels right. cared for, and, and everything's well in and the And it's working, mm-hmm. and there's good communication, and money is not an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough that for many couples, they're very healthy in mm-hmm. their money relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, many are not. So how do we help those folks? Um, you know, as in any aspect, I think... Good communication, the ability to talk about it. How do we talk about money? When do we start that conversation? Respect and fairness is is really critical. Um, another interesting point about money arguments in couples, they tend to be more intense 
than any other aspect. You know, what are the, and it's also the number one cause of divorce. Mm -hmm. So those arguments are intense about money and people fight about it and they go unresolved. And when, as you had described earlier, Dr. Pegg, when, when we do see divorce situations, the money issues can become just uh, very painful mm -hmm. for, for all parties involved. And that's where you see sometimes assets are hidden mm. and uh, it can be become very, very yeah. destructive. Well, it seems like things like uh, self-esteem, yes. uh, confidence, yes. feeling you have a sense of purpose, feeling like you can be flexible would be important um, characteristics yes. in a person who's dealing with the fiscal inequality, that yes. it, it doesn't define me. You know, I have confidence in what I bring to the relationship, regardless of what my paycheck looks like. I can be flexible, you know, in my gender role. Yes. I have a sense of greater purpose uh, than just being a breadwinner. And there are other ways I can contribute to my family's well-being mm -hmm. besides my paycheck. It goes right back to what some of those money scripts are. Mm -hmm. If somebody struggles with money status or money worship and they derive their self-worth or their self-worth mm -hmm. and their net worth is the same, then they may very well struggle if they're not in that position of, of being the, the, the major earner or mm -hmm. supporter of the family. And so financial therapy is not only just for the couples, but it Correct. seems like there's a place for individual growth and development and self-reflection, self-awareness. Absolutely. I work, you know, sometimes it's individuals. Uh, often it's a family situation. Mm -hmm. uh, Family-owned businesses are really ripe for these situations because you have the business, you have the family, you have the ownership. And so often there's a lot of uh, conflict around the money issues mm -hmm. and boundaries. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. It, and, and sometimes it's, it's helpful for an individual to just do the work themselves and understand what's driving their behavior. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a relationship or in a family, then uh, everyone is impacted. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about that. Um, I think the best way to have a successful marriage is to be a whole healed person who's got good life skills and communication skills. And so counseling and therapy can help the individual while they're still single. Yes. Uh, but when a, a, a couple comes together, um, talk about some of the things they should look at in pre-marriage counseling pertaining to finances. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only uh, the complexity of just coming together, but think about the prevalence of blended families. Yeah, And yeah. that adds another layer. If mm -hmm. I have children from a previous marriage and issues like, is this fair? Is this equal? Does, the, does that mean the same thing? So um, I, I think that the the healthiest thing a couple can do or an individual can do is one, understand their own behavior, their own style. Are they a spender? Are they a saver? Are they educated? I've seen, you know, historically, and this was very common, where the, the man managed the financial assets and the woman raised the children and managed maybe the household finances, but not the, the biggest, you know, not the investments, mm -hmm. which is really how in back in the 90s, I, I became very tuned into this because I worked with women who went through divorce or death of a spouse who at the most emotional time in their life, they had to learn about money. Mm -hmm. They had never taken the responsibility to learn about money. Mm. And so at a, at a horrible time in their lives, they had to, which by the way, 
you know, financial education, where is it coming from? Right. Well, the kids aren't getting it right. in school, and we get it from our parents, whether mm -hmm. they teach it or not. So parents, right. however you're spending or behaving or handling money, your children are watching, right? and that's where they're learning. Well, and, and I'm seeing more and more certain community organizations and initiatives are looking at financial literacy and Absolutely. teaching that to children. Uh, and you talked about, you know, at the death of a spouse or divorce is the hardest, worst time to have to learn about money. Uh, not just learn about money yeah. in general and budgeting and investing and managing money yeah. and balancing a checkbook, but learning about your finances yes. <laughs> that your deceased spouse yes. or divorced spouse was taking responsibility for. So it's not just learning about money principles, but it's figuring out this is my money and, and these are my bills and these are my obligations and these are my investments. And you were ignorant about those things. So financial and, literacy on, on that personal level as well as kind of generally. I've seen people become absolute par absolutely paralyzed mm -hmm. by it because that is the worst time to have to learn it. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's frightening. Yeah. Well, let's talk about preparing young people then. Um, what, what are some ways you can prepare a, a child um, for uh, to be uh, literate in terms of um, handling money and not have shame, not to have these dysfunctional money scripts. Um, yeah. Is giving them an allowance uh, reasonable, um, giving them, um, you know, a bank account, a piggy bank? Uh, what are your guidelines for that? Well, absolutely. And again, every family is different. Uh, for many families, it's important that their children also learn about giving money away mm -hmm. and giving to church and, mm -hmm. and tithing. So teaching them about, you know, often they'll put uh, money in different buckets. Mm -hmm. And this is the money I can spend. This is the money I save. And this is the money I give. But being intentional with and, our and, children. And this is the money I invest. And this is the money I invest, absolutely. <laughs> right, right. I've had a guest on my show, uh, Craig Hill, who wrote a book called The Five Wealth Secrets, and it's based on biblical principles, and, and he, he talks about jars. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Uh, you know, was kind of the biblical reference. But, yeah, here's my, here's my daily expenses. Here's saving. Here's mm -hmm. charitable giving. Here's investing, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So often I hear parents say, wow, I wish I had taught my kids mm -hmm. because now I have this, uh, you know, older teenager or young adult child who has no idea how to manage mm -hmm. money. Yeah. I've been having those conversations with my uh, twins who are 23-year-old young adults. And I uh, was having a, a fun conversation with my son just the other day about investments and mm -hmm. life insurance and uh, you know, he had a life has a life insurance policy at his job, and he was saying, you know, if I leave this job, will they give me the money back that I've paid in premiums? And I had to chuckle. No, that's not how it works. And so, uh, trying to teach him now, maybe a little late. You know, maybe he should have learned all of late. this when he was younger, before he got his first job. But he's learning. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the millennials, yes. which he he is one of them. And, um, you know, we could have a whole show just on millennials in general, but let's talk specifically about uh, their financial needs and what you call financial enabling. Even. Yeah. Yeah. Financial enabling is probably one of the biggest issues that I'm dealing with or, or helping people with today. And quite simply, think about it, and it's very prevalent with us baby boomers, and it's really um, enabling our adult children. So I would ask the question, 
does helping hurt? With all the best intentions, we want to help our kids, but by not allowing them to stumble and by giving them money when they're fully capable of earning it on their own is not doing them any good. Mm -hmm. So the flip side of enabling is financial dependency. Mm. So now you have a young adult who is very dependent upon mom and dad to make my car payments mm -hmm. or whatever it is and not... Uh, not requiring them to be accountable. And uh, so, you know, it's it's very, very prevalent in yeah. our culture today. And so that's something, again, you can teach a child from a young age and certainly teenagers that if there are certain things you want, you've got to save for them. And sure, I, I can give you an allowance. And, yep. um, you know, my thoughts on an allowance are it's, it's to teach children about money because as a member of this family, you should have chores. Yes. You should be contributing to the functioning of this family and you shouldn't have to be paid for that. Yes. But I'll give you an allowance so you can learn how to manage money. And so teaching a kid from a young age, if you want this thing, here's what I'm willing to contribute towards it, but I need you to make this contribution. Um, teenagers, when they're old enough to work, if you want to drive, you've got to, you know, get a part-time job and pay for the gas or yeah. pay for the insurance. So they have some sense of responsibility and, and not a sense of overwhelming entitlement. entitlement. Absolutely. Well, and the best uh, gift I believe that we can give our kids is to teach them to be financially responsible so that when they do grow up and they get into relationships, they come into that relationship as a healthy adult mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who's dependent or has no idea right. how to manage their And money. if they're in a healthy relationship, more likely to stay married and have two joint incomes. And so when we're old and need them to take care of us, they're, <laughs> they're better equipped. And we'll talk about caregiving in a moment. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk a little more about the millennials. Mm -hmm. um, you know, their mindset, and I, again, we, we can never overgeneralize. This yes. isn't everyone, but this is yeah. kind of, um, you know, what the generation is marked by. Uh, their mindset is they're going to make a lot of money as soon as they come out of school. You know, if you ask them their goals, they want to make yep. a lot of money and they don't have a five-year plan. They just yep. want to make that money right now. Um, that's not always going to be the case. They may not even get a job upon graduation. Um, they have very high expectations and may end up living with their parents, again, yes. through no fault of their own. We're kind of talking about the entitled yes. one who hasn't been taught to manage money. But some, you know, are responsible through their teens. They get their college degree. They graduate, and they should expect they could get a job and make a decent living, and it doesn't work out that way. And they end up living with their parents. That's got to be somewhat depressing um, if it goes on for some considerable length of time. Do you see that um, kind of scenario play out? Not the entitled one, but maybe the depressed one because they did everything right and it's not working out for them financially. Yeah, we were seeing a lot of that during the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, things have improved and so the job market has improved. Uh, but that, that scenario, as you just described, is so prevalent yeah. today. And again, when does helping hurt? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the uh, aging population. Yeah. I've had a caregiving expert on uh, my program, Nadine um, Roberts, uh, who wrote a book called Tears in My Gumbo. Pretty cool book. Uh, and she says everyone will eventually either be a caregiver or need a caregiver. And you mentioned the baby boomers mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, talk about the financial hardships of being a caregiver, uh, some of those money scripts that can play out depending on who you're caring for. Is it a parent? Is it a spouse? 
or is it your child with a chronic illness uh, or someone else that you care about? And it could be all of the above. I've mm -hmm. seen all of those scenarios and it can be absolutely devastating to family finances. And, and typically, if one becomes a caregiver, then they're no longer working because mm. they may be home full right. time. Yeah. So, you know, these are those life circumstances that are very difficult to plan for, but where savings and uh, budgeting and planning is so critical for our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the unexpected emergencies like this. And, and again, it's incredibly stressful on a marriage, on an individual, within a family. Um, so it's, and it's something that we're seeing more and more of because people are living longer. Right. So how, how do we, how do we plan for that financially and emotionally? Yeah. You know, this reminds me of, of a scenario that uh, happened a couple of years ago. I had a group of young women who, uh, I was speaking to their, they asked me to come to their investment club and I thought they wanted to talk about the markets and, uh, what they wanted me to help them with was how do we talk to our aging parents about our parents' finances. Uh -huh. Mom and dad, are you gonna be okay? Are you going to need my help? Mm. Are you, Mom and dad, are you financially wow. secure? So they don't even have a clue. You talked about transparency yes. before and, yes. and having these kinds of conversations. Correct. They didn't know if their help would be needed or Correct. let alone what kind of help because they had no clue about what their parents' financial status That's was. That's right, because there was no communication about this. And, mm. and, and again, maybe disrespectful to talk to mom and dad about what their, you know, what their financial statement looks like. And they were also very concerned that they didn't want to approach the topic with their parents out of fear of saying, so am I getting an inheritance? Mm. It was, <laughs> that was not the driver of their sentiment at all. Mm -hmm. But they were worried, will the day come that I need to be the caretaker and right. do I need to budget for that? Yes, yes, yes. So not only having those conversations with your parents and plugging a lot of different mm -hmm. people today that I've had on my show in the past, Michelle Adams is a wonderful, oh, I know uh, yeah, yeah, wonderful estate, estate planner. Yeah. And I've had her on the show, estate planning attorney, excuse yes. me, that I've had on the show. And she talks about that all the time, those yes. conversations with mm -hmm. our parents or our spouse. What are your wishes? What yes. are the, you know, what arrangements? What are your finances? Where are your documents? Yes. Those kinds of conversations we shouldn't be afraid to have uh, in, in, in uh, the spirit of this financial fidelity. You're calling financial infidelity. Yes. But how can we be financial, have financial fidelity yes. with our spouse and our parents and other loved ones? Right. So is the bottom line, how do we have healthy conversations mm -hmm. about this? Yeah. Yeah. and helping people to do so mm -hmm. because money is still taboo. People don't want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, well, we're hoping because of this show today, Maureen Kelly, that uh, people will have these open conversations. They'll start first with a heightened awareness yes. and um, some self-reflection, looking at their money scripts, what kind of um, experiences did they have as a child that may have kind of put some anxieties and fear and shame yes. in place. Getting those things resolved before you get married, because it's only going to get intensified for most of us. And then making plans for our children, launching them into young adulthood, as well as for our aging parents. Well, Maureen Kelly, thanks so much. It's been such an interesting, informative conversation. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Peggy. Thanks. Love to have you back on again. Um, that was Maureen Kelly. Again, if you'd like to reach her, you can go to my website, drpegradio.com. My guest has been Maureen Kelly, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. 
For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.